Hi, and welcome to another episode of Digital Noir Presents Humans Aren't Robots. I'm your host, Sam Davies. And today we have our last podcast from PauseFest 2019. We are now just a week away from 2020. We've had around, I think, 13 or 14 conversations from our time at PauseFest early last year and looking forward to getting over there again this year. In our last chat today, last but definitely not least, is Ben Lee. Ben is the founder of Rootstrap. Rootstrap is based in LA. They also have offices in South America. They are app designers and developers um, and help founders and entrepreneurs get ideas up off the ground. I had a great time talking with Ben and actually spent a bit of time with him at the event. It was great for me because we run similar businesses. Um, And during this conversation, uh, we talked about a number of things. Ben was actually talking about in his uh, keynote at Pause last year about taking a different approach to being an entrepreneur and stopping focusing so much on self-branding, uh, which was we jumped into and had a chat about that. We talked about um, short-term success that exists in our current climate and uh, how we can sort of counteract that with longer-term thinking. We talked about a, a distributed workforce, um, which he has, and, and the opportunities around offshoring and how to how to manage that from a business perspective. We also talked about how the Australian startup market is different to what he's used to in America um, and what surprised him about that. It was really insightful for me to have this conversation with Ben. Uh, great to catch up and uh, I hope you enjoy it too. Like I said, Pause Fest next week. Hope to see you there. We'll be around. Come say good day if you see us. And without further ado, let's jump in with Ben Lee. Welcome to Digital Noir Presents, live from Pause 2019. I've got Ben Lee here with me. How are you doing, man? I'm doing great. Thanks Sorry, for having me. Founder of Rootstrap. Yes. Um, and a bunch of other things before that as well. Yep. Is it your first time in Oz? My first time in Oz. Nice. 24 hours in? 24 hours in. Hey. Uh, I've, had, I've already had some coffee that <laughs> makes you really t- tweaked out. I'm yeah. loving it. Uh, the food is amazing. Uh, Vibe is great. So cool. Melbourne is definitely a city that uh, I'm going to be returning. You got a few days or? Yeah, a few days here and then going to Sydney. Yeah, cool. So Yeah, nice. Good good trip. Yeah. Oh, you'll enjoy both. Yep. Yeah, Melbourne's got a real, um, so I'm from Adelaide, but um, a real bit of like a European flair to it compared to other Aussie capital cities. Yep. Um, but So you, where are you based in the States? I'm based in Los Angeles. Cool. So, uh, you know, Hollywood and celebrity studio life yeah. and not a lot of culture <laughs> <laughs> you born and raised in LA born, born and raised yeah, yeah cool. not, not a lot of us but there, yeah. there, there's a few floating around there is it interesting that it is kind of like a melting pot of you know a lot, a lot of people come in there to, to, to make it. it's one of those cities isn't it it's yeah it's like a civilian or celebrity kind of choose your own destiny yeah. um, which could be hard for a lot of people who just want to have sort of a normal life and like work for a consulting firm like Deloitte yeah sure um, it, it, it would be hard at least in like central LA and Hollywood, you'd have to go a little bit more suburbs to get a normal life. Yeah, go down to Newport or something. There you go. Yeah, yeah nice. Exactly. Where about you, but you, you? I'm central, right in the yeah, right in the right in the mecca of the crap. That's yeah. <laughs> yeah, nice. I lived over in the UK in London for six years, which was great, being sort of smack bang, but then retired back to the coastal life in yeah. South Australia. So <laughs> London's a great city. I was yeah. spending a lot of time in Marleybone, okay, living cool. there yep. um, this past summer. Yeah, nice. Um, yeah, I got really lucky. The weather was just super incredible. Mm. Um, so was, maybe I brought the California sunshine there or something. <laughs> it's when when it's summer in London, uh, when it's on, it's it's on. And it's, it's such totally a good vibe on. in the city, right? Like everybody 
I know there's an energy there. 100%. Yeah. Yeah, but then the rest of the year it's gray and miserable, so. Yep, 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 that's, that's, that's what I've heard. Yeah. Cool, mate. So um, I didn't actually get to uh, hear you talk then, but uh, no uh, Mel who was down there watching. So actually, I just read the blog post, which I think was probably the, uh, the catalyst for part of the talk. Oh, yeah? cool. Yeah. Um, it's interesting. Like, I'm in a similar industry to you, right? We build apps, build I, websites. I think, I, I think it wasn't, you know, it was kind of, I knew that it wouldn't, it, it might not be as well received as some of the other kind of topics and themes. Yeah. And, and I'm Why did you really think that? Okay. Because in, I'm I'm going against the trend. Mm. Everybody is saying, "Go out and brand yourself. Um, go vlog. Yeah, you know, create content every day. You know, you're losing time. You're losing money. And like, who's this fucking random guy? Yeah, I assume I'm a lot no, of course. Okay. Sure. Yeah, <laughs> you know, who's this fucking random guy who's like telling me that all this stuff is a big waste of time and mm. it's about ego and and vanity metrics and no real tangible results or ROI? Yeah, so. Yeah, I think maybe people are just kind of like confused and they're like, okay, well, who do I believe? Because um, my endless QVC feed of, you know, TV commercials on Instagram is telling me that I should be doing something. Sure. Um, and I don't know which person or which path to go down. How many Gary V's can there, can there be? You know, like they can't be, it's not scalable for everybody to do it, that. I don't think it's scalable. I don't think it's... Um, you know, one of the big things that I, I kind of highlighted in my talk is I I tried it, yeah. so I, I'm, I do eat my own dog food, so mm-hmm. to speak. You can't be a full-time creator and run, you know, a high-performance company. And it's it, expensive, right? It's very expensive. Yep. So if you are going to be, you know, Mr. In-House Influencer, um, you're going to be neglecting your company. Yep. Your culture is going to get affected by it. Your, comp- your your team is going to likely build some resent towards you. Um, and a lot of other things are going to happen. Yeah. So, you know, if you want to do that, that's okay. You know, hire a CEO to run your business. Yeah. So that you could be kind of this full-time, you know, Gary Vee. Um, you know, for me, that's just not interesting anymore. Yeah. I, 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 uh, I dipped my toes in it and I was like, okay, you know. No, nothing special here. Nothing to see here. We we, we did. Uh, we followed like a really similar path. So probably you know, four years ago, we sort of went hard on, on Facebook and you know, paid advertising and and video content, and ended up hiring like a full time video person in the in the office. Mm-hmm. You know, basically, just for internal stuff. And it kind of literally followed that same trajectory you have, where we're like, well, what's what is the ROI on that? I think brand awareness was quite good for initially, especially mm-hmm. when there was more traction on Facebook a few years ago. Like we actually yeah. got quite. And, and just organically too, and that kind of died off. Yeah, so then there, you, pay you can't for get organic it. reach anymore on Facebook. You pay for yeah. everything. Yeah, and then you know it just kind of becomes saturated, right? Yeah. Like it, it, it maybe was a better place a few years ago. I, I would have loved to have got in heavier like six years ago, you know, seven years ago when it was you know really sort of nobody else on there. But then yeah, you look at okay, how many how many big jobs have we landed through directly relatable back yeah. to Facebook in the last two years? None. Really. Yeah, that's that's exactly right. Um, and you, you mentioned something that you guys were doing it internally. Mm. Um, you know, I love content creation for the purposes of internal training. Yeah, great. So, you know, I rolled out personal podcast. You know, just realized I was spending so much time on production and, you know, had a lot of amazing, very impressive entrepreneurs on, good friends of mine. And, mm. um, 
you know, you kind of have to play this game where like they have to shout you out and that's how yeah. you get the followers yeah, and yeah. blah, blah, blah. And I had, you know, like good friend who's you know the family founded the gracie jiu-jitsu yeah, and sure. like you cool. know owned a quarter of the ufc so yeah it just you know kind of feels weird asking these people like hey can you shout me out on your instagram yeah. you know it's just like i don't like even doing that kind of stuff but that's the only way to really grow your your, your following your subscriber base yep. so i kind of shut that down but we pivoted towards doing podcasts internally yep. um because we found that it's such an amazing natural conversation that um especially for salespeople, yeah. it gives them the context you know i'm able to sell eight years of work and case studies and projects because i was there when we signed the deal maybe if we lost the deal when we launched all the various you know aspects or stages of a, a project um you know so how do you transfer that knowledge you know and and teach new people when you grow and scale your business. And I, I have definitely found the internal podcast to be a good tool. Yeah, it's great. Because we, we started this literally as just an internal chat, right? So we just chat about things we're doing in the studio, mm-hmm. what's going on. I found it so, yeah, it forces you to put this down, your phone down, yeah. and actually just have like an actual, you know, like an hour or whatever chat. And it, it's interesting where things go. And that's kind of expanded, I think, into, you know, less of that doing it for the sake of building, you know, but yeah. opening up new doors, right? Like having well, I mean, conversations like You, you see like, like Elon Musk and Joe Rogan going like two and a half hours yeah. and smoking <laughs> and drinking. So yeah, yeah it definitely, um, it's not the kind of typical highly edited, highly yeah. produced type content. It's just shooting the shit, having fun, yeah. keeping it real. Yeah. I, always, I love that sort of more of a rambling discourse where it's like, well, who knows what, where we're going to go, right? Mm-hmm. But it's, it's just a chance to have a chat, right? You don't, you don't, you don't know what's going to come out of it. Yeah. It doesn't need to be, you know, tell me, you know, all the places where you can find you, hit my five key points and, and catch you later, mate. And do you do uh, podcast interviews remote too or just in person? Mostly in person. We, yeah. do, we do a few over Skype. I don't, I don't like doing it as much. Same, over yeah. same. It's hard to get... 90% in person. Very, yeah, it's hard to get an energy read. It's, yeah, yeah I, I, I totally agree with that. Yeah, right. You, you mentioned uh, in your post, and it was funny because I, I was reading through, you're talking about exclusivity, right? Mm-hmm. So giving away everything mm-hmm. doesn't leave that space for exclusivity. And I, I was reading that and was, I was thinking, okay, you know, there's obviously that thought process around permission marketing, right? So, so giving away enough and mm-hmm. then keeping a little bit back and, yeah. that, and that's where the sweet spot lies. And it's funny because you mentioned Seth Godin in the next line and he's, yeah, he's been, he, he hasn't hauled himself out on every you know, platform. Yep. It's, it's type form or whatever he does his blog on and and that's it, right? And, yep. and he's, he's managed to build that brand and that huge following around it, but without having to go down the, I suppose that, you know, that sort of, yeah, whoring yourself out on social media. It's not, yeah. it's not necessary. No, it's not necessary. Um, you're setting yourself up for a little more longevity than, yeah. than, than, you know, a creator who's just churning out for the sake of churning out every single day. Um, he still has values that he sticks by. He yeah. still is writing every single day. He probably wrote that content like five years ago and yeah. it's just set up in an automation sequence. But who cares? Um, so, But the, then the backstory there is, you know, it, it is longevity, right? So yep. not, it, isn't, it isn't an overnight session. You're not, even, even if you build 100,000 followers on Instagram overnight, like that, it, one, it's not going to mean anything, but everyone's going to forget about you the following day. Well, I think that's what, um, that's maybe why I chose, you know, the Pause Fest to do this talk because mm. it's very different than what I've talked about in the past. Um, but if I could hopefully get my message across, even a couple entrepreneurs who 
do think being this rock star, creating this rock star persona um, is super important. Um, Maybe they'll think twice or maybe they'll just retool the strategy. Um, because a lot of us forget, you know, the bigger we are, the harder we fall too. Yeah, sure. Um, and you know, I've had Aussie friends and kind of frenemies mm-hmm. fucking crush it <laughs> and be on all the Forbes 30 into 30 lists and make millions and their business, you know, tanked in 60 days yeah. because they didn't have the sales. So, you know, I've seen what happens when you have too much exposure. Yeah. Um, and where and when that could backfire. Is that, I mean... We, and we've been involved in a bit, you know, the, the sort of the influencer culture and, and, and the, the, the whole network of people that, you know, are making decent money and, and mm-hmm. sort of on, on the face value anyway. But like that, that's, that's the whole thing. A lot of it is just kind of surface value, right? Like mm-hmm. it, it's, it's all about the show and there's maybe potentially not that much behind it. So that when things do go wrong, there's not, you know, there's not all that sort of Seth Godin where you've got 30 years of, you know, whatever, publishing and yeah. things to fall back on. It's like, boom, you're, you're done. No, there. they're all like one trick ponies. Yeah. And uh, I know a lot of them. Like I see the sheets when, you know, I've been on both sides of the deal, the, the yeah, yeah. you know, the talent side and the brand side. And when brands want to hire these people to do deals or shout outs, you know, you'll literally see spreadsheets of like, this influencer, 100,000, this one, 120, this yeah. one, 150, this one, 200. And you realize just how commoditized they are. Yeah. And to your point, it's just kind of a matter of time for them to not be able to maintain that fan base and just sort of And consumers' attention out. spans. So, so we've had some clients that had sort of a, so a million followers right mm-hmm. on Facebook. But if, if they post about anything that's outside of their mm-hmm. sphere of influence... They get zero engagement. They yeah. get the, like million, wow, a million. They get nothing, right? They they would have had better engagement going to a you know a niche person with a thousand followers. Um, and you talked, I think, so about that, that's yeah. I mean, and I I know tons of creators who ha- are kind of live live and breathe by you know their numbers yeah. and, and keeping their engagement, but they haven't figured out how that translates to real business opportunities. Um, and I think that's it's it's pretty dangerous when you go down that path because you're you're really kind of like hoping and dreaming that something will miraculously come from you having a blue check and a million followers when you know you may never see the day (laughs) and you have to kind of maintain this image and facade that you're a baller or your your engagement's over 10 percent and blah 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 but um you know what does that actually mean have you followed, I think especially in the startup world and, you know, in Australia, I think we, we lag a little bit behind the ecosystem that you guys have had in the States. It's improving. Um, especially in the app startup world, there is this, the whole rock star element or the, mm-hmm. or the you know, yeah, the Forbes 30 under 30, this, this stuff is alluring to potential founders because they're like, well, that's where I want to be, right? So they're like, I, mm-hmm. I want to get there. They're, these guys are there. They're going to help me get there. Um, how much of that do you think is you know, really necessary and just you know good business acumen and actually you know the- I, I, yeah I mean I think it's really stupid and naive to take on that rock star persona because um, I, I think as young millennials we we don't realize that people love celebrating our failures too yeah, you know sure. you look yeah, at yeah. the fire festival thing it's like yeah, yeah. it doesn't stop trending yeah because it's just it's so phenomenal what they did in terms of a scam and defrauding people and also how this 25 year old kid did it. Um, so it's, you know, again, the bigger, the bigger you grow your brand, um, the more exposure you get, 
the more vulnerabilities you have, um, you know, I kind of like to be a little more selective in terms of where I'm doing things, you know, publications, content. Um, some of it's out of your control, obviously, but when so. I can control it, um, you know, I'm at least in control of that narrative versus it just getting so out of hand that, you know, you got to change your name or something because your Google SEO is fucked. <laughs> There's been two big dev houses that have uh, tanked in Australia in the last 18 months. Yeah. Uh, Appster, uh-huh. I don't know if you've seen that, and Bazinga. But I mean, Appster started at a similar time to us and I've, I've sort of, I've always, you know, watched their rise with, you know, yeah. partially with uh, confusion and partially with envy, you know, because it's like, shit, they, you know, they made all this money and, wow, how, how have they managed to scale so quickly? And, I mean, obviously, it wasn't sustainable the way they, <laughs> the way they did it. I'm gonna have to recuse myself because yeah. Josiah is a good friend. Yeah, so cool. yeah, yeah, I gotta, I gotta, gotta maintain his uh, his privacy. Yeah. Um, no but worries. it's, uh, it's something that they, uh, there was no malice. You know, they they were really young, mm. um, and you know they they lost the sales. Yeah. I mean, that's the most important thing in my, in, in our businesses, yeah. you know, the services business, we're not building IP really. Mm. We don't have assets. We have people, you know, manpower and we have, um, you know, our sales. And if you lose that, I mean, shit can go real wrong real quick. And I mean, cash flow is sort of the bane of our existence, right? Yep. So, um, in terms of scalability then so um i know you that you work with quite a distributed workforce mm-hmm. um one of the things that i've and, and we do to a certain extent too but one of the things that i've really found difficult in trying to build a more distributed workforce is not so much culture but just maintaining that same vibe that we have mm-hmm. to internally in the office and and ensuring you know, quality control not so much from the work but more around team culture and um maintaining i suppose the high level of standards that we demand here you know, in Adelaide, if we're going to say open up a, an office overseas, how do, yep. how do you go about dealing with that? It's 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 never easy. Um, you know, I I picked Uruguay through family relationships, mm. being a part of the open source scene, kind of blossoming in the early two thousands. Sure. Time zones being really ideal for kind of the Americas. Um, you know, you got to do retreats tech meetings, uh, workshops, any opportunity to get people in a room together is yeah. so important. Um, you know, we are distributed. We probably have like 85 people in Uruguay and the rest in you know, the U.S., some in Argentina. Um, but we, we try to make it a habit to have L.A. or SF or Boston clients come visit Uruguay and yeah, hang cool. out with the team and then vice versa, have the guys fly up to wherever the client is. I think that transparency is really key as well. There are a lot of dev shops that you know claim to be all local and then you know don't really talk about the fact that. But why not? I mean, you know. Yeah, I mean, we we own that story. We're yeah. we're proud of the story. Mm. Um, and maybe that's because we you know do have a little bit more kind of like flex than yeah. we when we were just starting out. Sure. Um, you know, I'll be the first to admit that I it was I didn't know how to tell that story when it was year one. Yeah. Um, because to your point, people are like, well, if you don't, if you're not transparent, it feels like a bait and switch. But if you're doing offshore work, why is it not cheaper? You know, why isn't it cheaper? Yeah. Or, you know, why can't I want to have people in, you know, in one single room? And it's just like, it's kind of the dinosaur mentality. Yeah. Um, so I think it's taken some years to meet more progressive clients as well who yeah. recognize 
my local market's out of talent. You know, I can't compete with the likes of Facebook and Pinterest in San Francisco. So yeah. I'm going to move to other markets, other remote players. You know, we're very fortunate we get to play that kind of co-CTO role. Yeah. Um, for a lot of big companies, Masterclass, we have about 17 people on that project. Cool. Uh, a company called One Door out of Boston, okay. we've got probably about 10 or 11. So it's um, it's it's fun when we uh, we get to kind of scale with our partners, you know, because that means we're doing something right. So when you're assigning, say, uh, uh, 10 or 17 people to One Door, you're signing a dev team plus a strategic lead and a uh, it depends on every engagement. Yeah. That's more like of a staff augmentation type sure. project where they've got the project management layer, they've yeah, got cool. the strategy figured out, they need kind of warm bodies and dev muscle. Yep. Um, other cases, you know, like working with Tony mm. um, and everything from end-to-end strategy, design, launch prep, all the strategy. So, so to, to, to riff off of that, so um, you took... You know, an app that he'd been trying to build for a couple of years, Tony six, Robbins. Six or seven years. Six or seven years yeah. and, and built something in... in 13 weeks. 13 weeks, yeah. right? So, like, agile product development, in that kind of sense, can work really well. Like, it, it, work, it works really well. How do you... So, Tony obviously had spent a shitload of money and time, so that probably sounded very refreshing to him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we'll jump on board and get it done. But your average client looking at an agile development mm-hmm. uh, lifecycle as opposed to, you know, a fixed price estimate or whatever it might be are often kind of... Yeah right. Okay, that sounds good. But no, we just we just, we just, we want to know how, we want we want a known you know known estimate or a known uh, entity. Yeah. So I think it, it's a good question, and um, you know, to your point about like our work with Tony, mm. um, it requires a tremendous amount of discipline and force to get them to follow your process, yeah. not the other way around. Not yeah. be a yes man. Say this is what we need. We need a product owner. We need one. We don't need twelve. We're going to start Monday. You got to be a part of these meetings. You got to be decision makers. Blah blah blah. Um, but sort of the the whole concept of agile, it's fucking scary for the business. Yeah. You know, you hire Pivotal Labs in San Francisco. They're sixty thousand dollars US a month for two devs. Yeah. They're signing a contract with no deliverables. Yeah. And there is that perverse incentive that these companies have to keep feature creeping. Yeah, sure. So I mean, naturally, you you know. You've got two devs who are, you know, going to try to make sure they stay on a project as long as possible. Yeah. Um, you know, maybe that's not the case for all of them, but there, that is a problem. So my way, you know, our approach really to kind of a, a tackling that problem is kind of finding a blended way of still keeping up with the agile framework. Yep. Um, but guaranteeing some kind of a deliverable, yeah. even if it's just velocity. Yep. Um, and making sure that we're hitting our numbers, we're hitting the amount of story points, we're on track to deliver when we said we were going to do it. Um, you know, we put a very heavy emphasis on discovery yeah. and scoping really, really, really well, and documenting that process before writing any code. Yeah. Um, so the client has sort of a legend and blueprint to, to follow throughout the process. Um, but yeah, it's... It's, it's not an easy sell, for sure. Yeah. Agile is a very complex sell that most people don't know how to sell and most people don't understand. It, um, and I've had to be on the phone with you know, <laughs> lots of lawyers yeah, and sure. explain the concept. And well, lawyers don't like it because they, they, they want a contract. Hate it. Yeah. They and, hate and, it. And try, we, just, we just had a, um, 
an agile contract be gone over by a client's lawyer and they're like, yeah, because, yeah, I, I appreciate from the lawyer's point of view what they're worried about, but it is what it is, right? Yeah, it's, 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 it's an education call. Um, it's something, you know, it takes me two to three times. Luckily, I don't really have to do that anymore. But mm. in the beginning, I used to have to get on the phone with kind of the opposing counsel, you know, and yeah. teach them how software really works. Yeah. Um, cause they didn't really know and it solved it most of the time. I think that the clients that we've been able to convince are the ones that have been burnt before or been through long product developments where they, the end result wasn't even, you know, wasn't what they anticipated anyway. So they, they can see the benefit, I suppose, coming along for that ride as a real key stakeholder that's literally there. And it, it, I think it's scary for some clients because it actually means they have to, they have to ship something and they have to finalize things. Whereas, you know, it's, it's easy to say, oh, you do that and I'll come back over here. And then when it gets delivered, they're like, oh, it's not exactly what, what we wanted. But if yep. they're, they're accountable as well. Um, one, the process can go faster. Yes. But two, it can, yeah, it can iterate and pivot, you know, at points where you wouldn't have been able to otherwise. No, totally. Um, I mean, that's, you know, we're more than just coders or designers. We're, you know, like accountability trainers, yeah. we're therapists, yeah. we're coaches. <laughs> all these various things bundled in one mm. um you know that's why you hire you know an agency is because you don't have the way to develop an engineering culture internally yeah. you know we've gone through the steps of doing that that's why we're allowed to charge premiums i must admit one of the main reasons we don't really take on startups in the app sphere anymore is because we don't have the resources to, to, to act as those other you know yeah. business coach and a therapist and a, and a strategist. Could you, and, and you end up getting pretty emotionally involved in, sure. in that journey with those founders too. Yeah, and I mean, I learned something about the Australian market that is very different than the market we play in in the US, which is a lot of the startups are able to like pull their initial cash from like home equity. Yeah. Um, and, that, and that would probably be eighty percent of what you know where it comes from. Like, a, the, like there's we, not that much that's early just round not, investment. That's not no. like in in LA. It's like sugar daddies. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's like mom or dad. I have a rich boyfriend, rich girlfriend, whatever. Yeah. They're they're fronting the bill, so it's a lot less riskier. Mm. Like, I, I feel like I don't know if I have the you know if I have the stomach to take on a like a shitty startup app that I know <laughs> someone's taking out like two hundred k and yeah. like your home equity and I'm like fuck that's yeah. not a good move <laughs> that's right um, whereas you know the 19 year old who's building an app that may or may not be successful he's doing it for very different reasons with yeah. us he wants to you know presumably drop out of school and he's kind of getting his business degree in agile development yeah. and how to be a good product owner and how to launch an app so you know I think the educational value just from being a part of that process mm. is, is you know hugely valuable and Hopefully something that you can do on your own. You know, we don't necessarily want to be working with um, clients for multiple years because that means we've done something wrong. So hopefully we've made them successful enough where they can then transition internally, build their own companies. And I think that that education early on that you you are coming on essentially is kind of a, a CTO or a founding partner that's going to get you to a point. And at that point, realistically, you're going to need to scale and build your own team. Otherwise, you know, it's... Paying an agency forever is not a good business model. Yeah, it's a terrible business model. Yep. Um, yeah, there is. There's a, there's a lot of the mentality. I think it's slowly dwindling out. That sort of just build it and they'll come, and you know, it's going to be a one thing. But I, I think I think that's just founders that don't have the uh, the necessary education to, to kick something it's off. It's tough. We're definitely trying to get uh, a little bit more outside of the startup yeah. world, um, or I should qualify that and say, 
early stage startup. Sure. Later stage um, are great. You know, they've got the infrastructure foundation already. Um, but the early stage stuff is definitely challenging. It gets very emotional. Mm. Um, you know, oftentimes you're the first check that this company is writing. Yeah. Uh, you mentioned this earlier, a lot of rescue mission work. So they're, they're coming with baggage and trauma. And that's kind of our therapy lesson. Number one is like, don't bring your past shit to us. Yeah. That's, you know, if you don't have trust in this thing, then it's never going to work. Mm-hmm. So go, you know, go outsource it on Upwork or something. <laughs> yeah. Good luck. Um, one of the things that you talk about, um, I suppose, you know, if someone comes to you with a, a business proposition or in a, a, a startup they want to get off the ground, a mobile product, whatever it is, having to sort of, I suppose, go through due diligence to work out if these are people that are you know, fit to work for you. What are the, some of the things you look for in a founder? Yeah, I'd say the founder is the most important um, rating criteria. Yeah. It's way more important than the idea because ideas change yeah. always. Um, are they a good collaborator? Can they listen? You know, minimal ego involved. Um, can they inspire people? You know, all the various traits in being a leader, yeah. I think, is what we want in the founders we work with. One of the things that I always look for is how attached to the to that idea yeah. are they? If they if they can if they can see a pivot already before you know before it started. I, that's that's tough because that takes you know that that's just that's it's your part, baby, right? It's a baby. It's yeah. part of the process, and that's why we we kind of joke and we're like we're the dream creators and the dream crushers yeah. we're not afraid to tell them that they need a pivot yeah. um, or explain that we may get to a certain point where you no longer are the ideal profile user for your own app yeah. and that might make you uncomfortable yeah. and it shouldn't so um, that's I think just part of the process uh, I, I think sometimes uh, if you're a little too aggressive in the, in the beginning like oh you, you have to pivot they'll they might freak a little. Yeah, sure. But I suppose any, any, even outside of kind of the, the tech space, any, any founder in any business at some point should imagine themselves you know, not necessarily being that, that pivotal role in the business, right? So eventually get to a point where, okay, well, you know, maybe I've, I've built myself out of this or I've you know, grown out of this or the business has outgrown me. And having, I think having the forethought to know that's going to happen and not just you know, clinging onto the life raft or whatever it might be. Right. Yeah, yeah it's... Um, it's, it's it's a tricky game for sure. What's your plan for the next couple of days here in Melbourne? Uh, just enjoy myself. Try to try to try to get as much of the town in as possible. Sweet. And then hit the beach in Sydney. Yeah, nice. Yeah. You like food? I love food. Yeah, cool. Yeah, that's uh, a good good city to this eat this in. The place, yeah, yeah. That's, that's what I've experienced so far. Yeah, sweet. I'll have to uh, have a chat. And go check out some places. I love it. Sick, man. Awesome. Thanks for coming on. Thanks for having me. If people want to find you, where can they uh, hit you up? Uh, LinkedIn. I'm pretty active. I post pretty regularly. Um, you could Facebook. You can add me, opt in my messenger bot for updates. Uh, check out my book, First 100, first100.yobenlee.com. Did number two on Hacker News recently, so it was fun to see that go kind of viral. Yeah, nice. Um, and now that's pretty much it. Awesome, man. Well, welcome to Australia. Thank and, you, uh, sir. Enjoy the rest of your time. Right, here. Appreciate Chat it. Chat soon. Cheers, mate. Hi, everybody. Sam here again. Thanks so much for your time, Ben. That was an awesome chat. Sad that you're not here at Pause Fest again this year, but we will be. So it's time to start packing your bags. Pause 2020 is next week. 
Tickets are available until the 7th, but they're on sale now and they are selling out fast. A lot of the workshops are already sold out. So yeah, please get in quick. And once again, if you enjoyed the podcast, please do share it with friends or colleagues. We love everybody to hear these stories. Thank you again, Ben. Thank you, Pause Fest. And we look forward to seeing you next week in Melbourne. Cheers, everybody. Cheers.